All right, put that slide back up, Cody. We're going to continue on in James. I, I debated whether or not to just plug along, but we're going to uh, because it's Mother's Day. So here we go with our motions again. Everybody remember them if you're visiting. We're not nuts. All right, we're trying to put some uh, other ways to learn um, what we're talking about. But we've gone through in verses uh, 6 through, through 10. Uh, through these and everything we're going to talk about from here on out is out of this is with this thought in mind uh, That we're at that place with God. So here you go. You ready? Everybody remember them? All right Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up Submit to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands you sinners Purify your hearts, you saints. Everybody got that now? Anytime you struggle with worldliness, meaning you allow those things of the world to get in your life, this is what you need to remember. In every book of the Bible, in the New, or every book in the New Testament, at least the letters uh, the, to the churches, all, if you read them, have some form of this in them, in getting right with God and walking uh, when we start to stray, okay? So, as we get started in this next section, let me ask you this. This is a, a guessing game. Who am I? Now don't say Steve, because I know who I am. All right, who am I? I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts and ruin lives. I am cruel and malicious and gather strength with age. Uh, the more I am quoted, the more I am believed. I flourish at every level of society. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me because I have no name and no face. To track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I'm nobody's friend. Uh, once I tarnish a reputation, it is never the same. I topple governments and ruin marriages. I destroy careers and cause heartache and sleepless nights. I wreck churches and I separate Christians. I spawn suspicion and generate grief. I make innocent people cry on their pillows. Even my name hisses. I am known by two names, slander and gossip. So let's pray as we get started. Father, as we look at these next two verses in James's letter, would you guide what we talk about? And Father, help us to remember who we represent and the awesome privilege that is, and uh, uh, the way that you want us to walk. And, and Lord, just work through your word this morning, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you look at verses 11 and 12, that's where we're going to start out. So uh, just let me read those two verses uh, to get us along where we are. Uh, in the middle of what Cody read, it says this. It says, running out of humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. We move into verses 11 and 12, and it says, do not speak evil of one another. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver, capital L, who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And if you're visiting here, I know there's a couple that are visiting. We, we have been working our way through the, the letter of James, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, as best we can, 
to get the whole picture of what the letter talks about. So we're in the middle here, and that's where we are with this verse. The question here is simply this, is why is James, after giving the cure for worldliness, in verse 10, where he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up, where he seems to sort of end that conversation, it's sort of when he stops with verse 10. And just so you know this, if you didn't know this, uh, when, the, when James wrote this letter, it didn't have chapters and numbers on the verses. Everybody understand that? It was just one continuous letter, like your grandmother would write you a letter. So the, the way that the interpreters and the translators put this together is not, uh, it's, it's just one continuous thought in there. But it sort of seems like he, he, he stops in verse 10. And it almost seems out of place. And to be honest with you, as I was doing my study, some of the com commentaries from some very well-known uh, Bible scholars sort of glass, glance over or gloss over verses 11 and 12. They really don't say anything about it. But other ones draw into it. And James put these verses here for a reason. And it's one thing to humble ourselves before God, which is what that process talks about that we've talked about over the last several weeks. One place to humble, or one thing to humble ourselves before God, and and it is a totally a different thing to put ourselves above fellow believers, and that's where He draws in. You're coming out of a, a set of verses where you are in that position of repentance, and now all of a sudden He goes into this thing, and there must have been something going on in the church at that particular time. Now James's purpose for them was to understand that humility before God is shown in our lives as humility towards each other. Keep that in mind. And go back to the verses um, that we've talked about over and over and over again, sort of like the, the verses that really are the, 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 the total thought of what we want to become here at the church. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the first great commandment. What's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that's what James is building on here as he's talking about that. When we're right before God, we're humble with each other. Now James is returning uh, the conversation back to what is one of the main ideas in the middle of this letter. Let me go through these with you. In, in chapter 4, verse 11, we just said, don't speak evil of one another. And he's talking, it says, brethren. So he's not talking to those outside the church, is he? talking to those inside the church. Uh, some, uh, the actual literal Greek says it this way, speak not against one another, brother. And if you go back to the beginning of the book in verse 26 of chapter 1, James already has warned them this way. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And remember, the book of James is written about what? It's written about true faith. It's written about genuine faith. And he's talking to those who, who are truly saved, but he also, in his writing, says there's some in the church that are deceiving themselves in their faith. Uh, they talk, but they don't work. Uh, they talk out of turn. They don't have control of themselves. And, and he says in that verse that, that they're, they're it deceives their own heart. In chapter 3, verses 1 through Two, he deals with those who are, have, have been falsely and, 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 and teaching and, un, and unprofitably teaching. In verses 3 through 6, 
He talks about words that defile, defile the body and the course of history. In verses 7 through 12 of chapter 3, he, he talks about those that, that are using their words and it's cursing that is directed towards fellow believers. In verses 13 through 18, he talks about earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom and, and those and, and the, the characteristics, the fruit that flows out of that. In verses 1 through 3, which we were in several weeks ago, he talks about lust-driven speech that results in what he asked the question of in chapter or verse 1 of chapter 4, where it says, where, where do wars and fights come from? In verses 4 through 5, words that are used seeking friendship with the world. And in verse 6, words that cause God to resist because of pride. So James is built on what he told them in chapter 3 because uh, how living according to the world's wisdom has led them to a point where there was great conflict in this church. They were fighting with each other, uh, evidently because they could not uh, get what they each individually wanted. That's where it says in those first several verses. And James, as we've looked at, has told them that living that way is living by the world's standards. And he has called them out as spiritual adulterers. And we spent a lot of time talking about that word adultery in the sense of spiritual. So I hope that's stuck home. Because when we get the true picture of what happens when we put other gods before God, when we put ourselves before God, what that really looks like to God, hopefully it will cause us to uh, not respond so quickly. He's called them to repentance, true repentance. That's that process. And that process that we spent the last several weeks looking at. And again, remember, we called it what? The cure for worldliness. We've looked at the cause for those fights that started where? Where does those fights start? Did it start here? No, it started in here. It started inside the wars that was in their members was that constant unrest of the heart that is, that is divided and full of selfishness and self-righteousness. Remember these people that he's, asked, that he's asked where the wars and fights come? You've got wars and fightings. The fight was the outside manifestation of, of what was going on inside. That, that person that's got that constant turmoil going on in his heart because he's got a divided allegiance. So that's what he's addressing here. He warns them not to turn on each other in slander or in judgment. The word here, we'll see in a minute here, for do not speak evil is that word slander. When we are prideful, we become God, little g, in our own lives. Everybody agree with that? When we are prideful, we become little, little g, God, in our lives. And we become our own authority. And it offends God. When we are prideful and we put ourselves above others, we victimize our brothers. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brother. And just to, to clarify so we all know, he's not addressing the confrontation of sin. Sin needs to be dealt with in a biblical way. And if you want to read that biblical process, you go to Matthew chapter 18 
And it goes through that process. When we deal with sin, we first confront the person one-on-one. If it's a sin against an individual. If you get no response, if you get a response, the Bible says you're getting a brother. If you get no response, you go and you get another person and you confront them together. If they respond, you gain a brother. If they don't, you go to the leaders of the church. And then the, that would be the deacons in this church. We gather together and they would go confront that person over sin. And if there is no response, the Bible says you turn them over to Satan to deal with. Right? And we've done that several times over the course since I've been here. We, that's not something that anybody enjoys being part of. But when it comes to, to sin, there's a process. There's a process. And that's not what James is talking about here. And remember this, with, with the confrontation of sin, always the end result is reconciliation. It's never separation. It's always to have that restored fellowship. It's always to have that reconciled a friendship and, and even as in the body sense. The word James uses here for speak evil is that same word which means to slander. <coughs> slander is a malicious and evil sin that is always, almost always, based in no truth. It's half or half-truths or assumptions. And the result is always the destruction of the person and their reputation. And I'm not going to get off on some political flagging here, but understand this. We've witnessed this on both sides of the aisle in our political spectrum over the last several years. No no, no, no facts, just blame somebody and destroy them. Well, unfortunately, that happens in the church, too. It happens in the church. Slander is aimed at, at people's dignity. It defames their character, and it destroys their reputation. If you didn't know this, the most, the, one of the greatest assets you have as an individual is your integrity. It's your reputation. It's your character. <coughs> because that's how you're thought about. And slander destroys that. Society even has reconciled the severity of slander. And a person literally can sue another person for what they call defamation of character. The Bible has a lot to say about the sin of slander. And understand this, lies spoken can destroy a person's life. We often say this about people that are in ministry, and especially with young people, when you work with young people. You be very careful, because all that has to happen is one accusation, even if it never, ever happened. Somebody gets mad, and they, they spout off. One accusation can destroy a pastor. It can destroy a deacon. It can destroy a Sunday school teacher. It can destroy a church permanently. Because it only takes one suspicious thought. And it doesn't have to be grounded in truth. So we, we've got to understand the severity of false accusations. The Bible has a lot to say about it. The New Testament believers who we know were mostly what? They were Jews. All right, they was the first, truth, first Baptist church you could call it of Jerusalem. 
All right, they were Jewish, and they would have known some of these verses we're going to look at in the Old Testament that denounced it. Starting back in the book of Leviticus, verses 19 through 16, it says this, or 19, chapter 19, verse 16, it says this. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. In Psalm 15, 3, it says this. He who, he, if he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take a reproach against his friend. Speaking of the character of, the, of a godly man, not the, the opposite. It's the mark of a wicked and evil-hearted person. And go back to that wars and fights. Again, that, that turning, that churning of that heart that's not settled. Maybe it's because of sin. Maybe it's because of, of, of hate that's in there. Maybe it's because you just don't know which side of the fence to stand on. That's what James is addressing here. There's that inner turmoil that ultimately comes out in what they, what they say. And it, it's the mark of a wicked and evil-hearted person. In Psalm 50, verses 19 through 20, it says this, You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander and your own and you slander your own mother's son. In Jeremiah 6.28, it says this, they are all stubborn rebel, rebels, walking as slanderers. They are bronze and iron. They are all corruptors. Talking about that evil person. Paul says it's a sign of depravity. And if you go to Romans chapter 1, a chapter that sort of uh, Paul has written to say that man has rejected God's creation. He, God has revealed himself in nature. He's not in nature as in the, as in the polyistic, pantheistic, whatever the, the istic that goes with that. He's not in nature, but nature reflects his greatness. And in that passage, he says this, and I'm going to read a little bit before it. Verses 26, because it's in a category where there's a lot of very nasty things about depravity. It says, for this reason, in verse 26, it says, for this reason God gave them up. Talking about the rejection of who he was. He gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. And he goes on, he says, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And look at that category of stuff that a slanderer is equated in. When you think about the vileness of, of a sinful curse of what is literal depravity, that's a nasty list of things. Slander's right in the middle of that. 
David shows us the, the seriousness of it. In Psalms chapter 1, 101 verse 5, he said, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him will I destroy. Psalm 140 verse 11, Let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. Jesus identified the source of slander as an evil heart. James, in the opening question there of chapter 4, talks about that same thing. Again, wars and fightings. But in Matthew chapter 15, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says this, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are all the things which defile a man. Paul wrote his second letter to the Corinthian church. If you didn't know what the purpose of it was, there were people in the church that were accusing him of things that he didn't do. And that he was doing things for the wrong motives. So the, part of the reason for the book of 2 Corinthians is to address those lies. Scripture tells us the results of slander. A slanderer separates friends. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeat, repeats a matter separates friends. A slanderer leaves deep wounds. In Proverbs 18, verses 6 through 8, a fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down to the inmost body. They leave wounds, deep wounds. A slanderer stirs up contention and divides families and churches. Proverbs 26, verses 20 through 21. Where there is no word, the fire goes out. If you remember chapter 3 where James is writing about that, the tongue is a fire. Where there is no word, or where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. As charcoal is to burning coals, and wood to fire, so is, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Proverbs 28-25, He who is of a proud heart, stirs up strife. Unless you forget, remember the greatest slanderer of all time. One of the one who is name, whose name also means liar, slanderer, deceiver, and all on Satan. Satan slandered God in his interaction with Eve. If you go back to the garden, he slandered God's integrity. When he asked Eve, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of that tree? Remember that account in the beginning? Did God really say? He slandered God's motives when he said, you will surely not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. But think about what Satan was doing. He questioned God, what God said, his integrity. And he questioned his motives. And what is the result? We sit in this sinful world because of what happened way back then. 
Now granted, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, I'm sure somebody else would have came along, probably me, and would have messed it up for everybody, but I'm glad my name's Steve and not Adam. Right? But the point is, is this. The first act of slander in human history led to the first sin, which led to the physical, spiritual, and eventual eternal uh, death or separation of the entire creation of human life. So if you want to think about what is the effects of a lie, what is the effects of a, of a lie about a person, think about where we are as a creation. When we speak evil of another person, when we slander and destroy the reputation of another, of another person, we set ourselves up as the judge. And look at the verses. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brother. He who speaks evil of brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. Go back to what he said. Be doers of the, of the work. You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver, capital L, who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Since loving others is the second greatest commandment and the outflow of loving God with all our heart, and slander is the exact opposite. Slander is not loving others. It is loving self above others. So slander is a violation of the law. By placing oneself above the law, a slanderer places himself above God and he makes himself judge and jury. Satan's sin was that he wanted to be God. And when we have not humbled ourselves in the sight of the Lord, we make ourselves God in our own lives. And the action that results is that we set ourselves up as God in the, in the lives of other people. And from that war within comes the fight on the outside. James says this, this ought not to be so. Those who, who, who habitually involve themselves in slander and tailbearing cast doubt on the genuineness of their salvation. That's what he's getting at here. You say, why are we talking about all of this? It's not because there's anything going on, so don't do anything about that. This is where we are. As we walk through these letters, we hit every, <laughs> everything there is that we deal with. That's what exegetical verse-by-verse -verse teaching does. We don't need to jump around the subject. God's laid it all out in all of these letters. But this is where we are. The tragic results of what James is talking about are illustrated in a story I found. Let me read this story to you. They were, they were a happy little family living in a small town in North Dakota. Even though the young mother had not been entirely well since the birth of her second baby, but each evening, the neighbors were aware of a warmth in their hearts. And when they would see the husband and father being met at the gate by his wife and two small children, there was laughter in the evening, too. And when the weather was nice, father and children would, would rock together on the back lawn while mother looked on with happy, smile, with happy smile, smiles. Then one day, village gossip started a story saying that the father was being unfaithful to his wife. A story entirely without foundation. But it eventually came to the ears of the young wife. 
and it was more than she could bear. Reason left its throne, and that night, when her husband came home, there was no one to greet him at the gate. No laughter in the house, no fragrant aroma coming from the kitchen, only coldness and something that chilled his heart with fear. And down in the basement, he found the three of them hanging from a beam. Sick and in despair, the young mother had taken the lives of her two children and then her own. In the days that followed, the truth of what had happened came out. A slanderer's tongue and an untrue story, <coughs> a terrible tragedy. What we say matters. What we say matters. And, we, and I struggle with this too, so don't understand like I somehow got it all figured out. I don't. I struggle with it too. Not slander in the sense that we go out and tell outright lies. We struggle with talking about things that we probably shouldn't talk about. Just as the story ends in the tragic death of this young mother and children, churches can be destroyed by the same thing. Ministries can be ended in the same fashion. The credentials and reputations of individuals within the body can be destroyed by one outright lie or a half-truth or an unfounded assumption. Everybody knows what an assumption is, right? When I just look at somebody and I say, hey, they look like... That's what an assumption is. No truth. I found this on the internet. It's out of an article. Four easy to, easy to miss signs that you struggle with gossip or slander. This is their words, not mine. You love juicy news about others. Guess what I heard about so-and-so? Did you hear what she did? You're not going to believe what what I, what you're not going to believe what about I'm what I'm about to tell you about this person. Do you love juicy news about other people? Do you have itching ears to hear the latest scoops on celebrities or schoolmates and friends? If so, this is a slippery slope for gossip. Juicy news is normally negative news, and this doesn't build anyone up. Number two, you talk about people behind their back. You would never tell me, tell them to their face, but you have no problem talking about them behind their back. If that person ever found out about what you said, though, you would be extremely embarrassed. Talking negatively about people behind their back is a sure pathway to gossip. If you wouldn't say it to them, then you probably don't need to discuss it about them. And just so you know this, everybody get this principle out. If somebody comes and tells you about somebody else, guess what they're doing? They're telling somebody else about you. Yeah. All right? Just keep that in mind. All right? Number three, you always discuss, and for some of you this may not be as, as much as it would be for our younger generation, you discuss the latest happenings on social media. Facebook is a place to unload and just walk away. You can put anything out there you want, and, and, and it's fine. You, you follow certain people on social media just to stay up to date with the latest gossip. You want to know what they're doing so you can discuss it with your friends. Uh, social media can quickly become a war zone of evil speech and sinful conversations if you're not careful. And I, I watch this in our youth group as, as our kids drama, drama, drama. I just say drama, all right? It's, it's 
unreal. It happens with senior adults too, you're right. It happens with middle adults too. Drama. Drama. It's ridiculous. Number four. You're nice towards them in person, but horribly rude behind the scenes. You put on the show when that person is around you. You act super nice to their face. They might even act like you might they might even act like you like them. But behind the scenes you turn into a snake. You rip them apart with your negative words to your other friends. You bash them to pieces and speak in tones of disgust. This is not only an issue of gossip, but also an issue of deception, slander, and anger. If you have a genuine issue with a person, we've talked about the biblical solution to that. <coughs> Let me just remind you, we'll go to the positive side of today. All right? This is sort of covering what he's talking about, but... I want you to understand, as James is talking to them, he, he's sort of, I'm sure, giving them the same thoughts we're going to talk about here real quickly is this. We are stewards, not just of the gospel, but we are stewards of the glory of God and the gospel. And as such, we need to be a family of believers that always has others above self. Because we have humbled ourselves and put God above self. And we got that right. The, the picture of the cross, some people use this. There's a, there's a, there's a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. All right? The vertical beam, and this, I'm sure that this isn't what Jesus meant, but the vertical beam, you could use it to represent your relationship with God, between you and, and God. All right? When we get the vertical right, horizontal is all right. Get that? When we get our relationship with God right, our relationship with each other will be fine. But we're stewards of God's uh, glory. Remember in the Old Testament, again, I think we talked about this last week, um, Jerusalem is a city set on a hill. Why was it on a hill? So everybody around could see it. God had in the beginning, and in Genesis chapter 12, chosen um, um, the nation of Israel through Abraham. They were to be his people. All right? there, was a, there was a covenant relationship there. And they were to represent God's glory on that pagan earth. And as they lived in a right relationship with God, the other nations were to look on. And when they saw this, this nation that, that had this great God that would destroy nations in, in battle and would provide for them out of the blue and would take care of them, they were to say, man, they've got a great God. And that brought glory to God. We all know the story of the Old Testament, all right? Nehemiah, which would be the last book of the Bible, talks about the destruction of the walls of Jerusalem, right? Uh, the, the, the people were coming back and forth to where Nehemiah was. He was in captivity. All right? and, and Nehemiah, even though he had been sort of like Daniel, had been taken out of, his, out, of his, um, out of his home environment, and he was supposed to be because they took those smart young men and they tried to reprogram them to be like that nation, and then they put them in their position to leadership. All right? Nehemiah was a man of integrity, and he watched as his, his fellow brothers would come back and forth, and he'd hear stories about what's going on in, in Jerusalem. And it says in the first chapter that, that, that he was in distress. I think I don't remember the exact words. Because the men were telling him what? 
The walls of Jerusalem are laying in, in destruction. And we have become a reproach to the name of God. And simply what that means, that word means is, and this is where I want you to get the picture of us as a body of believers, all right? The church, we don't replace Israel, but for this time period, we, just as Israel represented God's glory, we represent God's glory for this time period. But they, the reproach means this, that those pagan nations look on and they say, hey, look at your walls, they're all busted up. What kind of God do you serve? He can't even build your walls and protect you. And it didn't bring glory to God. Why? Because of their sin. And in the New Testament, we are that representation of God's glory for this time period. We are Jerusalem. If you go over to Jerusalem, there's no, there's no temple there anymore because Jesus died on the cross. All right? And the temple is no more. Matter of fact, where the Holy of Holies was, there sits a Muslim mosque. So the, the world is not to look to Jerusalem in the sense like it did in the Old Testament, although one day they will. But when the Holy Spirit came down, who became the temple? You did. I did. And we, as individuals, represent that glory. We are supposed to be like that city on a hill. Our churches are supposed to be that. When the world looks on, they're supposed to see that God's glory, that this great God that we serve, that we live in victory of sin, that we serve each other, that we love each other, that we're not, as we're looking at here, slanderers and bike backbiters, but we represent God's glory. In Ephesians 4.29, it says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, we, if you were here, we went through these passages a very long time ago, but it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Only what's necessary for edification. Sometimes that's addressing sin issues. But it's also, we are supposed to be building each other up, not tearing each other down. It says there that we are to be grace imparters. When, when you talk to somebody, when you talk to somebody about somebody, it's to impart, it should impart grace. It should impart grace. Our words should always have the purpose of building up. Again, sometimes we must confront sin. And in confronting biblically, its purpose is always to restore and help, help them lift them out of that muck and that mire. But as a church, as individuals that are in a family atmosphere, because that's what this is, one day we're going to spend eternity together. So if there's anybody in this room you don't like, you better get to love them real quick because they're going to be your neighbor in heaven. All right? You think I'm kidding? I don't know. But they may be. You say, well, I'm going to have a perfect body. I'm going to have a perfect mind. This is a preview of what eternity is going to be like. The body life. We need to protect others, each other's reputation. 
Anybody agree with that? And I, I stand before you as somebody that struggles too. Um, I have no, I don't always have this figured out. And sometimes I slip. And I have to ask God to forgive me. I have to humble myself in the sight of the Lord. I got to submit. I got to resist. I got to draw near. I got to cleanse my hands and purify my heart. And when I do, God lifts me up. He forgives me. But we've got to be careful to be protectors of each other's reputations. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and 32, those next couple verses after that one we just read, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. In other words, when we allow corrupt words to come out of our mouths, it sort of gives the reference that we grieve the Holy Spirit. It says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And it says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. In James chapter 3, and we'll close with this verse, verses 6 through 10, in that passage it talks about the, the tongue is a fire. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, or the likeness. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Listen, we, to the world outside, you can watch it all over the TV, the slander and the nonsense that you see all over. No regard for a person. Just spout it out whatever you want to spout out. No accountability for what you say. And unfortunately, sometimes the world looks at the church as a whole, not this church. And they say, hey, they're no different than us. And I tell you, as I've told you before, quite honestly, I have more scars from wounds that were inflicted inside the church than I have ever gotten outside of the church. These things all not to be so. So if you catch me saying something that I shouldn't be saying, Steve, stop. If you catch somebody else, stop. If it's sin, it's one thing. Then you need to go direct to that person. If that doesn't work, you take somebody else. If that doesn't work, then we need to get the deacons involved. And the pastors. Because that's the biblical process. 
But otherwise, you go home and you have discussion. The saints, they should be treated as saints. They should be talked about as saints. They should be loved as saints. Those of us, most of us in this room don't have young kids anymore. But we made the mistake when our kids were little. We'd go home and vent. And it caused our kids to have a wrong thought of Christians. You need to be careful of that. Be a church that you care so much about everybody else in this room that you'll cut it off when you need to. That you won't be the one spreading the the slander. And listen, when that happens, and it has, we have a good, loving group here. So don't, don't, this message has nothing to do with you guys other than as a, we're teaching through this passage. The people that come in from the outside of these doors all week long, they look at this church and they say, those people are different. We're not perfect, but they say, those people are different. They love us differently. The question is, if they were around us during the week, do, they, do we love each other differently? Which I think we do. We do. So number one today in application simply is this. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not a saint. You're a sinner. And you need Jesus to take away those, take away those sins. Make you a saint. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the rest of us, as I say to myself, put a filter here. God's word. Filter. Let's love each other enough to protect each other's reputations. Let's love each other enough to tell the truth when we need to. But to protect each other's reputations. To be imparters of grace. Because the only person that's worthy to be a judge, remember the book of Revelations, there's only one that's worthy. Who is it? It's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word and all the truths that are in it. God, I just ask this morning, if there be anybody here that doesn't know you as Savior, Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart so that they would so that they would turn to you recognize their need humble themselves in your sight and Lord we know that you will lift them up for the rest of us Lord may we be a church body that is careful stewards that are careful stewards of your glory May we always remember that. If there's times when we may mess up, may we always go back to that process of cure for the, for the, the cure of worldliness, which is to humble ourselves in your sight, to submit to you, to resist, to draw near, to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. God, I pray that we as a body would represent you well to each other, and also to the world outside. 
And Father, if we have any things that we need to take care of, God, put it on our heart to make that right. Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen. 337 is the number of words are on the screen as well. Right on him by Fanny Cross. Let's stand as we sing when God speaks to your heart and respond to him. Amen. 